Good morning. It is such a joy to be back with you all and just such a privilege to begin this new year with you all. Thank you for inviting me here this week at the beginning of this new year. Um, the the mus musicians, you all are wonderful. Thank you. And that prayer just then, thank you so much. It's, it's just so refreshing to my soul to be able to worship with you all in, in person. So much of my worship these past number of months has been online myself. Um, when I'm not the one preaching at our home church, we keep it to a minimum. So I, I, just to be here with you, it just means so much. So thank you. Um, and, and as Mark referred to the, one of the songs we just sang, let me do that as well. It's just a, so well chosen for today. That last verse of Speak, O Lord, Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. So let me begin this morning with a, a really cool quote from the chaplain, my, my college chaplain back in the day who went on to become a bishop in the Methodist church, Will Williman. And this is, he uses this big word, eschatologically. So just, just, we just slow down just for a moment. We remember, what is that even a reference to? So the eschaton is this Greek word that refers to the end of all things, when all things are made new in Christ. So eschatologically is, a, is when we are emotionally um, aware of the eschaton, aware of the grand culmination of all things. Okay, so that's, that's the prep you need just for this, this quote. This is what Will Willman says. Our lives are eschatologically stretched, stretched between the sneak preview of the new world being born among us in the church and the old world where the principalities and powers are reluctant to give way. In the meantime, which is the only time the church has ever known, we live as those who know something about the fate of the world that the world does not yet know, and that makes us different. So, if you're at all feeling stretched today, or just in life in general, you're not strange, that's not unusual, by professing your faith in Christ, you are, by definition, getting yourself stretched between the old age and the new age. But what he goes on to, what he, what he says there was so profound that it just caught my, my eye. Let me, let me just bookmark that for a second because the way I saw it for the first time, I think, in my Christian life, I've, I've grown up in the church, I'm in my mid-50s, and I'd always celebrated Advent, the season of Advent, as you all celebrated it, this, this looking forward to the coming of Christ at Christmas. But I'd, and at some point I realized that the church is actually, by celebrating Advent, really celebrating two great Advents, both the first coming of Christ and the second coming. He will come again. But it wasn't really until this year that I saw that historically, the church has actually always been celebrating three Advents. That in between the first Advent, the first coming of Christ to the, to the world, and the second great coming again when he makes all things new, 
there is really this in-between Advent happening. He is birthing himself into this world through the building of his church. He comes to be with his people here in the Hamptons whenever his people gather in his name. We remember, of course, that the great God is present everywhere all the time, 24-7 in his omnipresence as creator. But where can he be found? Where is he present as redeemer, as savior? The answer is not everywhere, and it's not nowhere. The answer is he is found in his church, in all his saving glory. This third advent, as it were. So we're eschatologically stretched, and we're living in this era of the third advent, where he, there is a new world being born among us in the church. So do you believe that? Do you believe that there is a new world being born among us in the church? Here at the beginning of this new year together, do you believe this wonderful good news? Now, whether you do believe it and want him to sustain that faith, whether you, you're, you're believing in that is a little bit weak and you need him to strengthen that faith, or whether you're not yet sure whether you believe it, or whether you're sure, positively sure that you do not believe it. Either way, the source of having that faith strengthened is the word of God. This story that God has been telling for thousands of years, if, he's, if, he's, um, if a new world is being born among us in the church, we actually come to see that he has been telling the story of new births, new beginnings for thousands of years. We, of course, have just celebrated the greatest birth of all, the birth of Christ. But if you remember... From the scriptures, that birth was foretold for thousands of years ahead of time. And it was foretold by these other magical births, as it were. The scriptures have these, at least these seven unique birth narratives in the, in the Old Testament leading up to the birth of Christ that teach us about the fate of the world. These birth narratives are each very unique in the circumstances surrounding the birth. They're supernatural they're unique because they're a picture of some great redeemer, deliverer to come, like the birth of Isaac, the birth of Moses, the birth of Samson, the birth even of John the Baptist, who technically was the last Old Testament saint, as it were. Each of these prefigure the coming of Christ, this great birth that has come into the world. And if we see this, we will better see how he's bringing a new world alive, birthing a new world among us here at Grace Hamptons, here in this new year. So this morning, we're going to look at one of those births in particular, the birth of Jacob. And we already heard the New Testament read, thank you for the reading, where you remember in that New Testament passage, the angel announces to Mary you will have a son, and announces that he would be the fulfillment of Jacob. He would be the house of Jacob, as it were, this Jesus that was going to be born. 
So let's now look at the story of the birth of Jacob himself, and we'll see more how God is really at work in this world, bringing new life wherever his church is found. So it's uh, Genesis 25, 19 through 26. It's in your bulletin. Let me read it for us now. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to be his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children, plural, <laughs> struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which means red. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel or grasping his heel. So his name was called Jacob, which means he grasps. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Well, let's, we've heard this account of this miraculous birth. So let's now pray and ask God to deepen our understanding of this this morning. Lord, we do thank you that you have come into this world through the great birth of Christ. We thank you how that birth was foretold and prefigured by all these other magical births, as it were, these supernatural births. And as we look backwards at this birth of Jacob... Show us the present and show us the future, how you, the same God, are at work right now, bringing new life into being among us here in the church. So open this passage now to our eyes, to our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for not only having me here on this one particular day, but the relationship we've had together over years now and the partnership that that represents. Because as we begin this new year, it's, we're not just leaving this to sort of poetic language where we sang a song, speak, O Lord, till your church is built. We're not just leaving that as like, that's a fun line in a song. And as we think about this Will Willimon quote about the, the Lord bringing new life into this world through his church. We're not just like leaving that in some book somewhere. We're actually asking the Lord in 2021, you already heard it this morning, will you birth a new church in Stony Brook? And in partnership, we're so glad to be partnering as best we can with that effort. And we're also asking the Lord to, to I'm just going for it. I'm asking the Lord to bear to bring to life three new churches in Connecticut. And right now we have two active applications in hand, very promising candidates, and a third that I'm recruiting hard. And so in this new year, 
through your prayers, through your just encouragement. Um, could it be that just our little churches, our church isn't that much bigger than yours, through the, our little churches, four new churches will be born. Stony Brook, perhaps Norwalk, Connecticut, perhaps the New London metro area, Connecticut, perhaps Waterbury, Watertown area. Could that be? We're not just going to leave this vision to song lyrics and Will Willimon quotes. We're actually looking to God to bear new life. So we're not just making it up out of thin air. It's because we actually believe in a God who all the time does these miraculous things, including this Jacob birth. <laughs> so as we see more deeply what's going on in this story, we'll have even greater confidence. He's going to be doing the same things among us. So as we look at this passage, we're going to look at it under these three broad headings. First, Jacob's birth and the problem of sin. Then Jacob's rebirth and the nature of faith. Then, Jacob's schemings and strivings and the nature of redemption. So, Jacob's birth and the problem of sin. Jacob's rebirth and the nature of faith. Jacob's schemings and strivings and the nature of redemption. So first, Jacob's birth. We just heard the story from Genesis 25. And he comes out... Little Jacob, one-tenth of a second old, is grasping the heel of his older brother, who's older than him by just a moment or two. And so they name him Grasper, the one that grasps, the one that grasps the heel. And actually, in, apparently in, in that day and age, grasping the heel was a colloquium. Uh, wait, collo collo is that a word? Whatever, it, it, a phrase that meant, um, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's something like that. Anyway, um, one who deceives, like cutting the legs out from somebody. So grasping the heel was like a deceiver. And so there's even a place where Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 4, where part of God just saying, things have gotten so sad among my people that every brother is a deceiving Jacob. And so Jacob is just a nickname for the deceiver, the grasper. Now, when I was really little, about five or six years old, um, we were up for summer vacation in Sharon, Connecticut, and my grandparents had a new litter of puppies. And there were three of us children, and there were three puppies. And so we got the privilege of naming the, the puppies. Each one of us got to pick a puppy and name it. So one of the puppies was, was uh, predominantly black, and so my sister named that puppy Blackie. And then one of the puppies was um, just ran all, the, ran all around all the time. So my little brother, who's like three years old, named that puppy Runny Run. And then the other puppy, as he was running around, kept getting stuck in the tall grass, and so I named him Stucky. Now, obviously, I wasn't there thousands of years ago when Jacob was born, but I, reading this passage and all the aftermath, I get the impression that they spent about as much time picking a name for him as I did, my five-year-old self. They labeled this little infant before he had done anything conscious in any way. 
they labeled him with a pretty horrific nickname. You are a deceiver. From birth, he was named that. How is that fair? (laughs) How is it fair as the scriptures say, and let's go big here for a moment. Let's remember the part of the hardest news of our theology, this, but that all Christians everywhere have always believed, the doctrine of original sin. How is it fair that as the scriptures say, we are conceived in sin, <laughs> we are born in sin? How is it fair that as the scriptures say, in Adam, our first father, all die? How is it fair that a puppy, just because he's running through the grass, gets a stupid name, Stucky, Stucky? How is it fair that Jacob is called the deceiver? Well, one wonders whether, in fact, that nickname, whether he really did grow up internalizing it. And I don't want to be an armchair psychologist here, but what we do see in the aftermath here is he really did leave a, live a life of deception. He lived a life of deception. We we see these moments in his life where he, he cheats, he essentially tricks his brother out of his birthright, and then he tricks his brother out of his father's blessing to be the firstborn, to get the blessing of the firstborn. And we'll look back at that a little bit more deeply in just a moment. Marked with this nickname, and then internalizing it and leading a life of deception where he's deceiving his twin brother. He's deceiving his own father. What if the story ended there? (laughs) What if this birth of Jacob was not a foretelling of some great future birth, but was just the story in and of itself? What if that verse that I only quoted part of to you in Adam, all die, ended with a period right there. Well, it doesn't, of course. That verse, if you remember, goes on to say, in Adam, all die. But in Christ, all are made alive. There is another birth to come. This Christ, who again, as was read for us this morning, the angel said to Mary about Jesus, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He will take the Jacob story and reign over it, fulfill it, perfect it. And if that's that's still too much sort of like poetry and we don't quite get what's being gotten at here, it's made explicit in John chapter 4 where people ask Jesus, are you saying that you are greater than Jacob? And plainly the answer is yes. Jesus is saying, yes, I am the fulfillment I've come to rule over the house of Jacob. I've come to tell a better story. Not a story about being named a deceiver and characterized by that for all eternity. But named with this name Jesus. Where in the parallel passage, again we had Luke 1 read for us, but the parallel passage where the angel appears to, to Mary, but then he also, that angel appeared to Joseph and said, you will name your son Jesus. He then clarifies why. Because the name Jesus doesn't mean deceiver, grasping after the heel, stucky stuck, runny run, whatever. The name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. This is the new birth, the new story. 
We did, maybe my favorite Christmas verses of all are Galatians chapter 4. Listen to this. When the fullness of time had come, after the birth of Jacob, after these seven other miraculous births that foretell it all, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. This whole thing, Jacob was grasping for his whole life. Am I the true son, the blessed son, the real son? Jesus comes and says, this is the way to get it. Not by grasping after it, but by believing in me. So there we see Jacob's birth and the problem of sin, but that problem is, we find the solution for that problem in Christ. So now the second bit of Jacob's story, Jacob's birth, the problem of sin, but now his rebirth and the nature of faith. He wasn't stuck with that name Jacob forever, was he? There was a rebirth in his life where he was given a new name. Here's the story from Genesis chapter 32. Remember, he had lived this life of deception. He had stolen the birthright. He had stolen the blessing from his son Esau, deceived him and taken it from him. Esau, who is this hunter, the strong, hairy, red, strong, rich, powerful man, they've gone their separate ways. Fast forwarding into the future now, but Jacob now gets word that Esau's looking for him. He's looking for him. He's coming to find him. And so, Esau, so Jacob is terrified. That same night he arose, he took his two wives, his servants, his, his children, his 11 children. He crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. He took them. He sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And then he stayed. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he didn't prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then the man said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. Israel, which means he strives, he wrestles with God. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, which means the face of God, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel limping, limping because of his hip. Don't know, um, Mark, if you can identify with that. I don't think his limping was caused by a bicycle accident, but uh, he's marked this new way of living. This is Jacob's rebirth, where he's given a new name a better name, 
and not named by parents who just in the, in the moment gave him this weird sort of nickname, but named by God himself. The name that he had been saving for him from all eternity to bestow upon him now. This blessed name that is meant to now characterize us. Just think about it for a moment. If you were moving to a new place and checking out, trying to find a new church, and you found a church and the church said, you know, we're characterized, we're the sorts of people, we, we call ourselves Jacobites because we're the sorts of people that are grasping after things all the time and deceiving people. Would you like to join us and be characterized by that? Or what if we could go on all day with like other weird names like the, the, church, the, the know-it-all church. We're the ones that know it all. But here's the way, what if you found a church and they said, we're called Israel because we are earnestly and with integrity and honestly and humbly clinging to God, wrestling with him in this time, in this age. Wouldn't you want to join that sort of church? That's one of the reasons why I do love coming here to Grace Hamptons. You all are characterized by this Israelness, this faith that's a real grappling with the real and living God. So here's this, this rebirth, this new year in our lives, as it were, this new beginning for Jacob. Let me read a really cool poem by a Nigerian Anglican priest about, it's just called Jacob Wrestles with the Angel. Malcolm Gate is his name. I dare not face my brother in the morning. I dare not look upon the things I've done. I dare not ignore a nightmare's dreadful warning. I dare not endure the rising of the sun. My family, my goods are sent before me. I cannot sleep on this strange river shore. I have betrayed the son of one who bore me, and my own soul rejects me to the core. But in the desert darkness, one has found me. Embracing me, he will not let me go, nor will I let him go, whose arms surround me, until he tells me all I need to know and blesses me where daybreak stakes its claim with love that wounds and heals and with his name. This new name, Israel, given to Jacob that day, meant to characterize the people of God that day and evermore. What was it that was really going on there at why that was such a profound moment for Jacob. There's many ways of summarizing it, but I think maybe the simplest way of summarizing it is this. He knew he was at this crossroads in his life. And he, everything that mattered to him, he sent it across the stream, across the river. And he's left alone. And now he's wrestling. And he's having to essentially make a decision. What matters more to me? All the gifts that this life can offer all the wonderful relationships I've got going on across the river, all the riches, all the, my worldly goods, all the gifts in this world, or the giver himself. He was having to make that decision. He was having to choose. This is the nature of faith, that you are choosing, by definition, the giver over his gifts. So we begin this new year, and we think, what if there was a choice put before you that a year from now, if perhaps I'm 
get to be back here with you a year from now, and you reflect back on 2021, if you were given a choice that a year from now you could have more of those things that matter to you in this world, your relationships and riches and goods, or more of God, which would you choose? Now, one day, we won't have to make that choice. When Christ comes back and makes all things new, we'll get more of him and more of everything. And hopefully in this life, it's not such a stark either or that by choosing God, he still gives us relationships and enough to take care of ourselves and be generous. But existentially, it's a decision of faith. And there's only one right answer. (laughs) Jacob was not going to let him go. He had finally learned relationship with God matters more than anything and everything else put together. And really and truly, that's the nature of faith. Mark talked about these daily devotionals and things. And really, I don't want to be dramatic or melodramatic, but that's the nature of faith that every given day, we're to, at some point in the day, just simply choose God over everything else. <laughs> Let it all die like a seed to the ground. And if he wants to bring it back to life, he does. This is the wrestling. This is the nature of faith. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Remember, as we think about this wrestling, that the sheer grace of that moment, Jacob is left alone by the side of the river. There was no obligation for God to come and meet him there. He could have left him all alone. The, the, the encounter was initiated by God, by God's grace. Don't forget that for a moment. Every new day that he's given you in 2021 is a gift that he has initiated. And he is moving towards you every day in this new year. Finally, we see how Jacob's schemings and strivings are redeemed. We remember some of the details. I'm not going to read that whole story of how he tricked his father into giving him Esau's blessing. Esau was a hairy man and a big man. And the time came for the father, the dying father, as it were, Isaac, to give his blessing to his firstborn. So Esau goes out to hunt for a big meal that he can prepare. As soon as he's gone, Rebekah, who loved Jacob more, said, let's do this thing. Let's pretend to be your brother. And they got some goat skins, and they put it on his neck and his arms, and they got his garments, Esau's garments. And Jacob, dressed up in all that stuff, goes, tricks the father, gets the father's blessing. That's scheming. That's the scheming after the things of this world. But you see, in Christ, even all that stuff is redeemed. Because by that, we're given this remarkable picture of the grace of the gospel of what Jesus does in an opposite way with all that nonsense. You see, there's this remarkable passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul puts it this way, Therefore God, for our sake, made him who knew no sin, that's Christ, to become sin for us 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, as it were, took on our garments, our sin, our strivings, our schemings. He wore all that, as it were, and gets the Father's curse upon him for all that. And then he gives to us his garments and brings us to the Father clothed in Christ and we get the Father's blessings. This great exchange, as theologians talk about. Christ's righteousness, his clean garments swapped for our filthy garments. So even in Jacob's schemings and strivings, we see the presence of Christ to redeem all that mess. So this morning we've seen in this new birth, excuse me, this magical birth of Jacob, we've seen the problem of sin. We've seen in his rebirth the nature of faith. We've seen even in his schemings and strivings, Christ is present redeeming those things. So in light of that fantastic good news, are there any schemings and strivings and graspings after the things of this world in your life that you really know you need to turn over to Christ and let him redeem them? Back to Will Willimon and that remarkable quote that there is a new world being born among us in the church. Christ is indeed giving the Hamptons a sneak preview of his new world. By the new life he is bringing to light here at Grace Presbyterian Church. Christ is giving the Hamptons a sneak preview of his new world by what's happening among you as you participate in this new life. The things that seem so normal. This is fantastic miracles when you have your Bible studies and your worship services. This is the new life of Christ as Christ gives the Hamptons a sneak preview of his new world. These places of wrestling at the end of a year, the beginning of a new year, are really like that moment where Jacob is all alone. He sent everything across the river. And so we remember, though, that these places of wrestling, they're always opportunities for new beginnings. Yes, they can be the end of some bad chapters, but they're not the end of everything. These moments of wrestling in our faith, anyone who's lived, lived a Christian life for longer than a few weeks and months, as you begin, you, you enter these seasons of wrestling with your faith and even doubt and darkness and despair, but those places are places where new births happen and your faith is strengthened. So you wrestle with him in this new year. You will be called, not a Jacobite church here in the 2021, Grace Hamptons is called a, a, a church of Israel, an Israeli church, a church that wrestles with God in person. So finally, we just end with this simple, we think ahead to 2021, and are you optimistic or pessimistic about it? Are you optimistic or pessimistic about it? The great Presbyterian missionary Leslie Newbegin, who worked for decades in India, he was frequently asked, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of the gospel in India? And as one who wrestled with his faith before the Lord, he developed a standard answer to that question. Are you, Dr. Newbegin, are you optimistic or pessimistic? And this is how he'd answer it. 
I believe in the birth and resurrection of Jesus, and therefore the question does not arise. And then he'd go on to explain. You see, the gospel is news of a fact. And regarding a fact, the question is not, are you optimistic or pessimistic? Regarding a fact, the question is, do you believe it or do you not believe it? Dear friends, in light of this one little story of Jacob that opens up the whole world of Christ for all of us, do you believe that here in this new year there really is a new world being born among you here at Grace Hamptons? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we thank you and praise you for the work you have done in this world that being sort of uh, selfish and solipsistic for just a moment, but... <laughs> I praise you that the faith reached me and my heart. And each one of us thanks you, O oh Lord, that your church was grown and developed over centuries to reach us with this good news. And we know that 2021 is a new year of grace. So keep building your church. Keep birthing here in the Hamptons this sneak preview of the new world. Bring into your church all those that you're calling to yourself in countless numbers. We pray as well for new churches in Connecticut and all around the world. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.